Hi, I'm Shannon, pastor at Sturgeon Bay Community Church. I want to thank you for joining us during our study of the book of Mark, where the theme is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. The whole point of studying this book is so that you can find out more about what the Bible has to say about the person and the work and the message of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to grab a cup of coffee and a notebook, and let's dive into the book of Mark. And I hope that you could join us sometime soon for a live service where ministry happens in relationships and you can get connected to other brothers and sisters in the faith. See you soon. Morning. If you have a Bible, you're going to want to be turning to the book of Mark in the third chapter. That's where we're going to be parking today. And picking back up, I want to um, do a couple things before we go into the message today. The first one <clears throat> is to uh, just to say thank you. In the life of any church, uh, there's going to be people who work behind the scenes, who do the jobs that nobody else notices or, or, or wants to do. And one of the jobs that gets done here at Community Church is there's some people who show up on Monday mornings very early, like before you're supposed to be up, five, six o'clock, something crazy like that. And they come in and they collect the trash from around the buildings, and they put it in the trash bins, and they take it out to the curb. And uh, they do that every week and have been doing it for years. So um, we are what we celebrate, and we are a community of volunteers. And in this church, I feel like it's important from time to time just to say, hey, Jim, Thank you to you and Dennis for coming up here, Dennis, wherever you snuck off to. But these guys collect that trash and get it out to the curb every Monday morning. And I really appreciate it because I don't want to have to get in here that early. <laughs> but I sure, I appreciate that they do it. So if you see Jim or Dennis this morning, just say, hey, thanks for what you do behind the scenes. It really does make a big difference. We are in the book of Mark. And as we move through the book of Mark, we're going to be following Mark's um, account of the life of Jesus Christ. Throughout the book of Mark, there is a singular theme that he wants to make sure you understand, and that is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God. He wants to make sure you see at every point in time, every action Jesus does, everything that he does, that this is the core message. And I want us to walk away from every Sunday in the book of Mark seeing evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But I wonder, sometimes as we approach the Scripture, if we don't go into this thing as just Americans, we read things and we see things and we make assumptions based upon who we are as Americans and the language and the way he did things, and we miss some of the more important points of Jesus' ministry. And perhaps one of the most important things are Jesus' methodology in teaching and the things that he did to make sure that the messages would stick. You see, Jesus always wanted to make sure that when people went away from a healing or from a parable or a message or an event, that they had to go home and wrestle with what they had experienced. It's why Jesus didn't regularly say, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God, I am here to redeem that which is lost. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus would give parables. You remember what a parable is? It's, it's a story that teaches a much deeper meaning. But Jesus also healed, and he did miraculous things. And I thought what I would do this morning is share with you a couple of illustrations that just come out of my life um, that, that should be memorable, I hope, and, and will kind of set the groundwork for what we want to do today in exploring Jesus' teaching and that there's always more to it than just the surface. In other words, Jesus wants you uh, to forever own the message that you've learned um, because you're invested. So um, let me share you two stories. 
Years ago, we were working in Brazil uh, doing partnership missions, and the mission that our church had adopted was, uh, or the method we had adopted, was to find out what the local church was trying to do and to go help them do it. That was, that's how you do missions, right? We're not the great white hope that goes out there and we're Americans here to save the day. That, that doesn't turn out well. What we learned was find out what the local church needs and how we can empower them to do their job more effectively by bearing some of that burden. Well, in this particular city, the church was seeking to reach the children in their community through sports, through athletics. And they realized that um, in the afternoons, the kids would be done with school, and mom and dad were both working, and they may be working till late at night. And so the kids were, were unsupervised. They had nothing to do. And if you have kids, what happens with unsupervised kids with nothing to do who are home? What do they get into? Yeah. And so it's the same in Brazil as it is here in Estados Unidos. And so what we learned in a hurry, we wanted to help that church do ministry in their area. So they said soccer and basketball. That's what would be the most effective vehicles for them to be able to engage. So um, we did. We would go down and we would serve. Well, this one particular um, ministry trip we had done, we took a large group of volunteers and we built them a soccer field. The city gave us an area of, of dilapidated land and said, if you clean it, you can have it. It's for the church. We'd love the church to own that land and to use it that way because it's good for our city and what's good for the city is good for the people. What's good for the people is good for the city. And so and that's what we did. We, we cleaned that field, hands and knees and cleaned it. But what we had done... We had talked to a company there in Virginia Beach, a pretty well-known company who makes soccer balls. And we had them make soccer balls for us and, and deflate them so we could take down and fill them up. But on each soccer ball, here's what they did. They put a little uh, Brazilian flag and a little American flag. And then, and then on one of the other little patches, little five-star things, whatever you call it, it had John's 316 and the plan of salvation in Portuguese. And so here's all these really cool soccer balls. Now, if you're poor and you don't have a lot, you can't afford to have your own soccer ball, right? So we realized that by giving them this ball, we would give them something pretty neato. So at the end of our trip, not at the beginning, at the end of our trip when the field was done and it was clean and ready and, and, and it, was, it was super, it was just beautiful and exciting and the church was exciting, as we're leaving, uh, we had, I think it was 200 or 250 soccer balls and we had these little CO2 cartridges, which was really fun to get through customs. We had these little CO2 cartridges and you'd put them in and pops up the soccer ball and bounce, bounce, and give it to a kid, boom, and give it to another kid. And we did that. We gave them all away. Oh, my gosh, were they just lit. They were so excited. And it just, yay, we get on the buses, and boom, we're out of there. A couple days later, I hear from Pastor Ramir Modesto, who's the, the pastor there, and he says, Shano, because they can't say in at the end of a sentence in Portuguese, so it's Shano instead of Shannon, which is frustrating, but that's my problem. So he said, Shano, uh, it is so funny because all around town that night, Nobody was sleeping because all you could hear around the whole town was bounce, 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 kick, kick, bounce, bounce, bounce. And, and finally, they finished. But, but here's, here's, here's what happened, okay? They saw us live out the gospel. They saw us serving and doing something for them. They knew it was through the church. They weren't quite sure what all this service was about. But that night, everybody went home with something. And Pastor Modesto said that a lot of those kids slept with their soccer ball, you know, because it was their most precious possession, Right? You know what they're sleeping with? The reason that we came and we did what we did. They owned it. The message is on the ball. It's theirs. And they don't forget that because we did it and then we proved it. You tracking? 
Okay, uh, let, me, let me approach it from another angle now, a little bit, a little bit more lighthearted or whatever. Um, when I was uh, a younger guy, I, I drove Japanese motorcycles and Italian motorcycles, you know, spaghetti bikes. And so um, a, a good friend of mine had given me a hard time about it. He goes, oh, you ought to drive an American bike, blah, blah, blah. I said, all I do is leak oil and break down all the time, which is true. And so, and, and he said, uh, <laughs> he, he, he gives me a hard time. He says, well, I'll give you one in pieces. If you can put it together, you can have it. Okay. So I, I did, you know, I'm somewhat of a mechanic, I think, so I kind of get together, put this thing together. Now, here, here's, what I, here's what he was doing to me. He was saying, hey, Shannon, if you put it together, you know how it all works. You'll understand it completely, okay? You're invested in it now. And when you own that and ride that or whatever you do with it, now you fully own and understand that particular machine. And I was also want to tell you, uh, it had the effect of attracting really cute young gals. And so uh, check her out. All right. <laughs> I know I'm sleeping on the couch, aren't I? <laughs> when you own it, when you're invested, when it's precious to you, when you take it home and you think about it later and you process it, that becomes yours. When you're faith, when your understanding of Jesus the Messiah and the message of the gospel is something that you process and work out and you own it, now it's stronger. See, people struggle in doctrine and theology sometimes, and that really shouldn't be. I think the reason they struggle is that they go to churches where things seem good and, and they'll give their trust to a preacher or a pastor and, and he or she is going to tell them what the Bible has to say and they just assume that's truth and they go home with it. You fed me, I've got it, I'm a glutton, I'll go home now and process is somehow what you gave. But I believe what Jesus demonstrated was something a little different. You see, Jesus continually gave people things to think about and to process. It's why Paul uses these words, each one of us must work out our faith with, with awe and wonder. Or maybe you've heard it said fear and trembling. Jesus was doing this in his early ministry. We're going to look at some of that this morning. So um, here's the outline for today. We're going to talk about the crushing of crowds. We're going to look at retreat, focus, and ponder. And then we're going to end with looking at who those 12 apostles were that Jesus established and why there's some neat messages there that we just miss in our Americanness sometimes. So that's where we're going to go today. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at Mark chapter 3. Um, to begin. Father God, I would just pray this morning um, as we enter into your word, as we study, as we think together, as we're challenged. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this time, give our hearts uh, the ability to learn and to own and to process so that what we engage today will take root in each one of our hearts and bear the fruit of lives that are transformed, loving God and loving others in a way that transforms our community the way the apostles transformed their world. So, God, we just pray these things in the name of Jesus and the very real power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mark chapter 3, let's begin um, in verse 7. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee, and a large crowd followed from Judea, from Jerusalem, from Edomia, beyond the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing, and he told his disciples, have a small boat ready for him so the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing towards him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make 
him known. So uh, Jesus, as he's traveling around there in the, in the Galilean countryside in the Judean hills, he is um, doing this traveling, and he's teaching and he's healing. There's something special about getting healed, okay? Healed means that there's something that has plagued you, that has vexed thee, that you have carried around, that has separated you from culture and society and religious people, that's separated you, as it were, from God. It's created division. It's an uncleanness. It's a shameful thing. And these diseases, Jesus is healing, and he's, he's demonstrating something to people. He's, he's making them whole. He's making their relationship with God and with the priest and with the church and the rest of society whole. He's making right what sin has messed up. This is the ministry Jesus is doing. But, but friends, Jesus isn't doing it saying, I'm the Son of God. I'm God in the flesh. I'm here to heal. Here's the message. I'm here to heal because I'm God and only God can heal. What is it that we most often hear Jesus saying? He says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, syntax and context mean some things, right? Jesus isn't saying, I forgive you, you can be healed now. He's not saying those words. He's letting people have to process that. He's sending them home with a soccer ball. Think about it and to ponder this new beautiful possession. He's letting them work through their faith so they really own it. So when somebody says, oh, you were healed because you touched Jesus, they can go, you know, it isn't so much that because I touched him I got healed. It's more that I placed my faith in him and the message that I am at peace with God because God has forgiven me. I think that's the deeper message. You see, they're owning that faith. Sometimes I wish Mark had written all that down for us <laughs> because then it'd just be easier to go see what Mark said. But, but Mark, like Jesus, is going to leave that hanging for you to need to work out and process and understand so that you can go, wow, you know, it's not just about the leprosy being gone. It's not just about the withered hands being healed. It's not about the paraplegic going, well, I'm walking. It's not the blind saying, I see. It's not the mute saying, I can speak. It's the message behind it all that Jesus is saying, you can be at peace with God. The Messiah has come. Right? The promised kingdom is here. That thing that separated man from God and you had to go through the religious system of, of doing X to get merit and to, to earn favor with God so that he would give you grace. Now there's justice and mercy and grace and forgiveness for those who walk humbly before their God simply by placing your faith in Jesus. You see, that's what the healing was about. And the people who were coming, they were all coming and gathering and crushing in around Jesus because they wanted to get something from him. I wonder, I wonder, how many of us come to church or do Christianity because we want to get something from Jesus? Rather than understanding that the church and the faith and the way, Christianity, the edification, the worship, the teaching, the, the encouragement that happens in the body of Christians is all the more about understanding the relationship with our God that has been restored through Jesus. And since we've been transformed by the renewing of our hearts and our minds, then the acts and the service that we do are a reasonable act because we realize who we're serving and what it is that we've received. Do you see, maybe, maybe, Jesus' methodology of teaching 
created ownership and the pondering in people's lives. And that's the method that he would challenge us to do more often in the way that we do church. Hey, how's it play out, though? You see, Jesus didn't, in so many times, overtly say, this is why I did it. He would heal, and people would be healed. But in this chapter now, in in chapter 3, Jesus is going to do something different. He's going to ask his apostles to have that boat ready. So he's going to create a platform. He's earned the right to be heard. Would you agree? I mean, let's, let's not skip over this for just a second. Has anybody ever met a person with a terrible disease? Don't raise hands right now. I don't want to point you out. But somebody with just a genuinely terrible disease, uh, a, a leprosy, um, somebody who's, who's become paraplegic, quadriplegic, uh, so, so maybe, maybe a, a disease that's just wiped them out, a cancer. Uh, some, if you've been around a person like that, how would you respond if you were with that person and seeing them with, you know, cystic fibrosis or something, and, and, and a person walked in and said, you're forgiven, and they were healed. Would it, would it be a shocking moment? Hey, listen, don't, don't, don't lose the sense of that as we read this passage, okay? They didn't have modern medicine. I mean, we say Luke was a doctor, but let's be honest, nobody wants Luke working on them, all right? Where's Steve Davis, thanks? You know, I don't do it, Luke, love you, dude, but, you know. Ancient medicine can only do but so much, right? Jesus is healing people. How big a message you think that was? You think everybody heard about it? You think people were coming from miles around? Now, we said that the area he served is about the size of Door County, and there's no cars or computers or telephones. So imagine that people are hearing down in Brussels about a person who, who, if you just touch him, you can be healed. People will be coming from Washington Island and Forestville and Algoma and, 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 and Bailey's and Jacksonport to, to, just to touch him to be healed. Hey, this is the news. And if this guy's doing it, don't you think the people would want to hear what he had to say? And so here's what Jesus does. He teaches them. He gets in the boat and he moves away from the shore And now, instead of everybody having a chance to come up and touch him and get something, they're going to hear the teaching. Now, Jesus is going to teach out of Torah, the Old Testament. Probably speak from the Mishnah, the expanded teachings of of the Old Testament and the Pharisees and the scribes and the, the prophets. And as Jesus is doing this, he's teaching the gospel. He's showing what the Messiah would be and how he would be typified and that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the people are hearing this message and they're looking at the healing of restored lives and and brokenness made right and restoration and wholeness where there was division and destruction and corruption. And now you're forgiven. You can go straight to God. God loves you. God wants to forgive. Wow, this message is really going to sink in. But Jesus gave it time to percolate. Hey, how about you? How about you? Are you living a life with your friends, with your neighbors, with the people around you that's constantly teaching a message and giving you the right to be heard? Does your work ethic send a message to your boss and to your coworkers and to your subordinates that says something about your value system and the character that you have as a result of being forgiven? and walking with Christ? Does the way that you treat the waiter or the waitress or the checkout clerk or the contractor, does any of that speak to a transformed heart and life that's at peace with God, who would love to see other people at peace with God? 
the way that you encounter challenge and letdown and disappointment, the way that you live out your marriage, the way that you speak about your spouse or your children or your church or your boss or your politician, does it, does it demonstrate something transformed in you? Because you see, the leper and the blind and the paraplegic and the forgiven prostitute, all of those people had a message. He forgave me. And they went home to process that message. Hey, you remember when the lady was caught in adultery? Who knows what happened to the guy, but you know, of course. Here's the lady caught in adultery, and they're ready to stone her. Did, when they all left, did Jesus say, Now, because I'm the Messiah, the Son of God, I have forgiven thee, lo. Now go ye therefore, and maketh no sin any more, and giveth of thy tithe, la-da-da-da. Did Jesus do all that? He said something really simple. What did he say? Hey, 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 don't do that anymore, all right? You're forgiven. Don't do that anymore. Wow. Wow, that, that's a pretty big message, right? Is that what you were saying and I didn't hear you? Oh, you were sidebarring. Staff. So when Jesus, when Jesus healed, there was a message. When Jesus walked with his apostles, remember this last week, he's walking with his apostles and they, they're walking through the field and, and they pick some grain to eat back in chapter 2. And they're eating the grain and they're talking and the religious people go, oh, what are you doing? You're breaking, the, you're breaking our religious law. And Jesus is like, man, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Go, go read your Torah. Jeez. And he continues to teach with these apostles, continues to engage them with truth. Why was he doing that? You see, the message that had been demonstrated was now being explained. The Sabbath was there to teach you about rest and focus, not to be about laws. The healing of the leper and the blind and the paraplegic and the forgiving of the prostitute and the, and, and the calling of Matthew, for heaven's sakes, all of these things where Jesus saying, I am the Messiah, the Son of God, without having to say it. He's saying, Go study what your religious texts teach you about who the Messiah is going to be and what it's going to look like, and the truth will become obvious. Jesus is saying, look, I'm restoring the relationship. Your sins are forgiven, child. You're not sick now because, because you're unforgiven. You may be sick because you're living contrary to God's calling, but Jesus is saying in these moments, you're healed. The relationship is restored. Go show the priest. Jesus at this moment is actually, he's ministering both to the people he heals and to the priests and the religious types of the temple saying, hey, hey, you hear the knocking? Your religious, your religious system? <laughs> the God that creates it at the door. And, and it's about to be gone. So God who made your system is now saying that covenant is closed. And the covenant of grace and justice and love and forgiveness and peace with your God is being opened. And for the Pharisees, that meant their job was going to come to an end. And their position was going to come to an end. Of course, they would resist it. But Jesus was ministering to them by showing that healing had come and that and this new era was on its way. The Messiah was here. If only the Pharisees and the priests had embraced it, I wonder what history would have said. 
So uh, the, the message so far that we've looked at that we wanted to make sure we're seeing is that in, in the crowd, in the crowd, there's always the pressing and the wanting to get from you, the wanting to take. But in that crowd, the really important thing that you and I have as a responsibility is to live truth, even if we're not speaking it yet, but to earn the right to be heard, living out the Christian faith so that you're the Bible people read. And they ask you, what's the reason for the hope that's within you? What's the reason for the behavior? and the difference that's in you. So the crowds are pushing, the crowds are crushing, but Jesus is going to retreat. He's going to go to a place of focus and a place of ponder. Jesus is going to retreat. If you have your Bibles, now we're going to move to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. So Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve. Uh, to Simon, he gave the new name Peter. To James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, uh, he gave the name uh, Bonagras, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also would betray him. You see, Jesus now, instead of being here with the crowd, he's going to pull away and he's going to focus. He's going to concentrate in this discipled relationship with a few. So retreating to focus. You see, Jesus is going to escape the distractions of the larger responsibility he has as healer and teacher and trainer and, and, and prophet and priest to all these masses. And he's going to break away into this relationship with a smaller group of people and getting away from the distraction and the noise uh, and, and the takers in order that he's going to invest and to recharge. Has it ever occurred to you that when we come to church on Sunday morning, and look, there's a lot of nice people in the room. We, we come together here and we sing and, and, and our worship team comes and they use uh, their talents and their gifts and their practice and they draw us into an attitude and a place of worship. And, and others have been in the back. They got here very early this morning and they made uh, great coffee and, and they put that out there and they made it look good and they had all the supplies ready for it. Others cleaned this church and made it nice and sanitary and aligned to the chairs. And, and oftentimes they pray over those chairs, by the way, on Fridays. And, and other folks have done the yard some this week. But we all come together and we sing and we encourage and we pray for each other. And, and in this moment, we're all built up and edified. But this is a crowd. okay? And, and, and if you only come to church in this crowd, Here's what I can tell you, I can promise you, it's played out so many times, it's not enough. You won't be able to grow in your own personal growth and, and personal discipleship, but so far, just hearing from me for 40 minutes a week and worshiping with our worship team for 30 minutes a week and, and participating in communion for 15 minutes every, every month, ministry happens in relationships. I want to make sure you hear me now. Ministry only happens in relationships. And the deeper you invest in and the more you spend time in that relationship, the more impact that relationship is going to have. And when you're in a room like this, we don't really have but so much of a time for a relationship. Have you felt the tension as the church has grown? Have you felt that tension of, I don't see people as much anymore. I don't get to talk to them as much anymore. You know, bless your hearts. Do you understand what you're saying? I'm expecting Sunday morning to be my whole Christian experience. 
but I'm not investing in life group and in relationship like Jesus demonstrated with those 12. Hey, what do you think? What do you think CNN would say about when Jesus left his healing ministry to go spend time with the 12, and he left Sister Sarah with her broken foot and didn't heal her? How do you think that story goes down? In their day, just like today, when Jesus went away from the crowd to go with the 12, there were people saying, but all these others you didn't heal. All these others, do you not love that Jesus hates people? He doesn't heal Sarah. Of course, that's how they acted, because there's jealousy. And they came to take. But Jesus came to give now. And he's going to invest into the lives of these 12 intensely. And in doing so, he's going to help those people focus uh, by, by escaping to the mountain. He summons these and he invests into these people's lives. And this is a really important message that you and I need to be hearing. Our lives need to be filled with people with whom we are praying, sharing meals, doing life together, encouraging, offending and asking forgiveness, offering forgiveness, working through life together. And when we do this life together the way Jesus was doing it with these apostles, the right to be heard turns into the right to admonish and to encourage and to build up and to send people out with the message that you're learning together. You see, making application of the healing and of the parables is what Jesus did in the smaller group. He's sending them home with a soccer ball. And they're going to look at that, and they're going to read it, and they're going to hear the gospel through those words in their own language made personal. They're going to, they're going to ride that bike they built, and they know every bit of it. They've processed through it, and now when the challenge comes, they know exactly how to engage it because it's, it's theirs. You see, that happens in intimacy and in relationships. Church, do you hear me saying it's wonderful to be here on Sunday mornings because here we sing psalms and songs and spiritual songs and we edify and we encourage and we build up and we celebrate. Uh, and I like to think I bring something worthwhile. But, but you should be going now home. Go with this into these mountaintops, into these prayer closets, into these life groups. Sit down and have a meal together, have a beer together and fight through the process of working out your faith with awe and with reverence. And realize, what is Jesus saying to me through what we read this morning or heard this morning or what I'm going through? Processing this in relationships. That's the Christian life. That's what Jesus was demonstrating. And he didn't have to say it out loud. He's sending you home with it. Process this. Look at my model. Follow my pattern. Process this. Let it become personal to you. When, when Jesus, as we were looking at last week, um, when he sat around the table with those other apostles and they had that meal together, he's saying there's nobody's fasting at the party or celebrating at the party because Jesus is here. But how do you have a party unless you're going to it? See, Jesus was spending time eating a meal with these people. And you remember how upset the, the Pharisees, the religious types got? Look at who you're eating with. Look at the garbage people that you're eating with. And Jesus was like, I didn't come for, for those who are well. I came for those who are sick. I came for those who are far from God. So let me segue into something that kind of makes us uncomfortable. And, and we're very American about this because we miss it every time. Let's look at the people that Jesus called to be his apostles. Let's just look at the list for a minute. There's Peter. 
James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. There's Philip and Andrew and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and, and Judas and Thaddeus and James and Simon. Hey, we know something about these guys. Let's take a minute and think about it. First of all, most of them are people you wouldn't want to hang out with. Okay? Let's explore our prejudices for just a minute. They're all Jews. Every one of them are Jewish guys in the ancient world. Okay? Now, as soon as I said that, here's what happened. When I said Jewish, you all kind of processed in our American brains Jewish. And we have some stereotypes that we attach to. Don't look, don't look at me like I'm wrong. You're doing this too. There's, there, you attach some stereotypes to the term Jewish. And you figure, oh, think is a Jewish guy. And you kind of figure what a Jewish guy is from your experience. And you kind of got it processed. And we do that because we're Americans and we're really bad about this. Okay, other people do it too, but I'm talking to Americans, so we'll own it. <laughs> so here's the thing, though. The people that are these Jewish guys, they couldn't be more diverse. Well, they may all be Jews. They may be all be Semitic men. But here's some of the kind of folks that are in that crowd. Peter. You know something about Peter, don't you? Mr. Foot and Mouth. Uh, Peter, the guy who's always the first to speak and the last to think. Peter, Mr. Bombastic. I'll never, I'll never deny you, Lord. <laughs> and it's Peter that just a few days later is with profanity and with, with nastiness denying Jesus right out there. <laughs> it's, it's Peter, the one who fails so many times, who was the, one of the first Jesus calls. And, and Jesus helps Peter transform in his life, but he changed Peter's name. Cephas in Aramaic, um, um, the reason he did this was that Simon in Greek or Hebrew becomes Peter, the rock in Greek, because Jesus is saying, you have a new name because you're a new man. He had a transforming effect on Peter. But hey, church, when he called Peter, he was still the loud mouth, foot in mouth, get you in trouble, the guy that's always running his mouth and ought to be shutting up talk before thinking. That's the guy Jesus calls. He's probably difficult to have around in a group of people. James and John. Do you think they got the name Sons of Thunder because they were contemplative, quiet, encouraging dudes? Or do you think maybe they had some attributes too? Probably, you know, they're sailors. They're fishermen. Chances are they talked like sailors. You know, they they were at the lower rung of society. Chances are they kind of talked that way. They probably were pretty rough around the edges. You know, they didn't go to the better schools and dress the best because, you know, they catch fish all day. And those guys always dress good and smell good. So these are some of the people that Jesus calls to be his apostles. Philip, Andrew, Bartholomew. Uh-oh, who's the next one? A traitor. Uh, 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 this guy who, who's taking money from his own people cheating them. We'll get to Judas in a minute, I promise. Matthew's taking money from his own people, cheating them. He's a traitor. And on top of that, he figures that by getting all this money, he can make more sacrifices in the temple and impress the priests and get good with God by buying his salvation somehow and, and doing it on the backs of other people who can barely afford to pay their tax. And he's overtaxed them to make himself right. Who's that guy? And Jesus calls him. <laughs> Matthew, the tax collector. And then you got Thomas. Now, what do we know Thomas is? It's really more legalistic, Thomas. It's funny. Historically, they didn't call him the doubter so much as the legalist. Oh, yeah? Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. 
We know from Thomas's life that, that Thomas was really fierce about the whole celibacy thing and really was legalistic about that in the, in, in the way people uh, he challenged and in his disciples later on. But, but this guy, this legalist, this, this show me, this prove it, but fiercely faithful to Jesus. This is Thomas, Thaddeus, James of Alphaeus, Judas? Jesus is God. Jesus knows the past and the future. Now, think of it. He's God. Don't let this escape you. It escapes us all the time. Jesus knew when he was born on earth how his life ends. Jesus knew you when he was on that cross. Did you think he went to the cross for the idea of sin? He went to the cross for, for you. Jesus is God, who God exists before time and in time and beyond time. There's time and God is all of it at one time. That's why prophecy is possible, right? That's why those of us in the Reformed faith can understand what it means for God to be fully sovereign, yet us still have responsibility and freedom. Wow. That God, that God knew who Judas was and what Judas was going to do. Yet he walks with him, eats with him laughs with him, fishes with him, heals in front of him, travels with him, sleeps alongside of him. Hmm. Jesus invested into these people. He loved them. So here's where it gets very personal, friends and neighbors. How many of you have folks around your table on a regular basis, do life together on a regular basis, are invested in and engaged in, in relationship with, who are a long way from God? How many of you have the kind of folks in your life that you're investing in and discipling and teaching and living out your Jesusness in front of <laughs> who probably you wouldn't want to bring to church just yet? Do you have those folks in your life? By the way, bring them. We're cool. How, how many of you are willing in your day-to-day -day life to put yourself out there and be vulnerable enough to do things and to serve other people not because they'll do for you, but because that's what Jesus would do. You see, this is what Jesus is trying to show us with his healing and with the apostles called and with the crowds. All of this is about Jesus drawing a focus. Hear me. He's drawing focus to the deeper message that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus came so that you could be at peace with God. If you believe that He is the Son of God, confess with your mouth God, raise Him from the dead, place your love and your trust in Him, you can be saved. And the result of that is that the behavior in your life begins to look more and more and more and more like Jesus when you're called. Hey, here's a question for you. Let's look at those 12 up there. Was Thomas... A child of God, when Jesus called him and he responded. Now, careful, think about this. This is your soccer ball. When did Thomas get saved? When Jesus called him and he dropped what he was doing and followed Jesus. When did Peter get saved? Did, did, did Peter become Jesus' follower when he forgave him on the shore of the Gergesene Lake when he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Hey, Pete, you love me? Feed my lambs. Hey, Pete, you love me? Yeah. 
feed my church. Is that when Peter got saved? Or was it when did he call him and said, follow me. I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. That's exactly right. Friends, when Christ calls you, you begin a relationship with him. You're not going to be perfect. And if you think you're perfect and you're in this room today, I've got a new sin to point out for you. It's pride. <laughs> Love justice, walk in mercy, and walk humbly before your God. Uh, so each and every one of us have sin in our life, and each and every one of us is imperfect. If you don't believe me, ask the person who knows you well. They'll let you know where you're not perfect. But who do you have in your life that you're investing in and loving? Who do you escape the crowd with to invest in? You know, when you serve in the life of the church, we use our gifts and talents that God has given us in order to edify the church. That's what we do, to honor God and edify the church. We serve with excellence, the best of our ability, because that brings glory to God and inspires people. But, but let's be honest, it can also be exhausting, can't it? Have, here's a test for you. You know you, you're a mature Christian, and you've been a Christian for a while. If there's been a time you can point back to in your life where you have been exhausted serving the church. Right? Some of you are going, yeah. Others of you are like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I wonder what that means. Soccer ball. You'll figure it out. So I think what, what I, what I want to leave you with today is this. What are you focused on? What are you focusing on in daily life that says, God, I love you, and I'm doing this as a service, as a discipleship, uh, as a relationship for the people around me? Am I focused on my Sunday morning experience that feeds me, or am I focusing on the way I live my life that is the Bible other people read? Am I living my life in a way that's investing in others around me so that the relationship is where spiritual maturity is really happening? See, that's the focus. And you leave people thinking and going to bed with their soccer ball to have to process what it means when my Christian boss acts that way, when my Christian employee behaves that way, when my Christian neighbor, my Christian spouse, my Christian friend, my Christian schoolmate behaves that way, what does it mean? So that later in the smaller relationship when they ask, you've earned the right to be heard. Our worship team is going to come up to close us here in just a minute. I want you to start pondering that though. Walk with me down this, this imagine for a second. Who's in your life? Who's in your life right now that needs Jesus? Who's in your life right now that you're investing in? Not asking from them, but that you're investing in. Are you seeing them? Ask yourself this. Is this Sunday morning experience the only time you're hearing the truth or spending time with God? Or are there relationships during the week and time with God during the week where you're hearing from Him? I'm going to ask you to spend some time in prayer. So with eyes closed, with heads bowed, we're asking God for a clean heart. We're asking God for a purity, a righteous spirit in us. God, show me. Show me who, who are the people that I need to have awareness for the people I'm impacting what I do God what message am I sending them home to ponder what relationships am I invested in that are intentional
worship team is going to sing. You just spend these moments in time in prayer with God. We'll close in a few moments. Father God, we've gathered today. We've looked at the example that Jesus set for each one of us. We've enjoyed great music. We've enjoyed great fellowship, <clears throat> great coffee, great friends. God, I just pray that now we'll go home to ponder what your word has taught, what the example that Jesus said is teaching us. God, I pray that our relationships become very intentional, loving people and investing in them. And God, I just pray that we do remain focused. I pray, though, that that focus is on how our life and our example impacts the people who see us and the message that we send them home thinking about. God, it's a responsibility you've given us, and we take it seriously. And as we work out, live out our faith with awe and reverence, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the awareness and the encouragement to spend time with other brothers and sisters in the faith that can build us up and edify and encourage, even as we extend to those beyond the faith. So God, these things we pray in the name of Jesus, through the ever real and empowering power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for coming today. You've gathered as a congregation. Now, go be the church. Go in peace.